You know what? No more excuses. I will willingly choose God's fame above my own. I will stop acting as if I am the center of the world. I will look at my apathy straight in the face and demand that it leave. No more excuses. I will both admit my addictions and cry out to the healer. I will refuse to allow the enemy to continue stealing my joy. I will stop worrying about what everyone around me is thinking. No more excuses. I will turn my heart back again. I will listen hard to the whispers of his spirit, and I will proclaim the wonders of his never-ending love. No more excuses. No games. No pretending. No hiding. No dead religion. No more excuses. Period. Well, good morning, church. Welcome. We're glad you're here this on this rainy Sunday morning. I'm Scott Weatherford. Aren't you glad you're here? Yeah, you guys are the brave, the chosen, the few, the select. You know, we were starting this series this week called uh, I Will, and over the next seven weeks, we're going to be talking about our commitments, and our commitments define our lives, and, and we decided we were going to have a raindrop theme. That's why we have these little stickers that say I Will. Little did we know that God was going to provide a deluge of raindrops, and it started with a statement I made in staff meeting one morning. I said, a single drop of rain makes no difference but a million drops of rain turn a desert into a garden or turns a parking lot into a lake. So uh, welcome to the hill country. Welcome to the, the deluge. If, uh, we're, I'm just glad you're here. Some of, I know there's a lot of people that physically could not get here this morning, and maybe they're joining us online, but I'm glad you're here. So before we get into this new series, I want to point out a couple of things. We provide online resources for you that helps you experience uh, what we're doing on a daily basis. We call it Take the Weekend With You. One of these is the book I Will, and we, we're selling that, cost recovery, $5 for the book I Will, and it goes along with this whole series. Many people have already read this. They've, they've read it this week. They got it last week. They've read it this week. This is really encouraging by my friend Tom Rainer, who uh, focuses on church revitalization, so you guys can take a read to the I Will book. Yes, there we go. Unlike Texas, we threw a completed pass. Okay. The next thing, if you'd like to have a, be, be in a group experience, now listen to me, you will not get the full benefits of this church if you're not connected in a group. And we have an opportunity called Group in a Bag. If you want to start a group, lead a group, host a group, everything you need to be successful in leading your group is in this bag. And you can pick that up in the foyer on your way out, and you can do group in a bag, and we've got it for you. And also, you can go online to our online resources. Scott's getting ready for this one because it's going to drift on you, brother. You're going to have to come back for this one. Yeah, this group in a bag is available for you guys. That You can pick this up. You know, if you wanted to do this at home, you could do that. It's also available online at fbcwimberly.com. Group in a bag. That's not poop in a bag, by the way. It's group. Okay, filter. All right, sorry. Okay. Next week, we're going to baptize in the creek again. If you've experienced the salvation through Christ and you haven't been baptized by immersion, let next week be your week. It's Cypress Creek. Go online to sign up for that as well. Uh, I'm just really glad you're here. And so we launched this new series on I Will. Are you guys, you guys glad you're here? Yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, we're going to have a fun time this morning. And we're talking about over the next seven weeks, our commitments that define us. And perhaps one of the most bedrock of those commitments we're going to do this for seven weeks, so there's going to be seven bedrocks. But one of the bedrocks is I will worship. Now, you see the tag I have on, I will worship. Now, I, you were given tags when you came in, so hold up your tag and wave it at me, okay? 
what I want you to do. Some of you already have it on. You, you said, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm in, right? You're called early adopters. So I'm going to tell you about making that commitment to say, I will. And over these seven weeks, we're going to lead up to a big time commitment that we will live all for Jesus. So I'll tell you about that, that sticker in just a little while. But to live all for Christ. And this thing about worship, I believe, is one of the most confusing, misunderstood topics in the church. When back in 1992, I started my first church, and we made a decision that we were going to do things differently musically, that we were going to have a band, we were going to sing more modern songs, we were not going to necessarily sing hymns, even though we sang them from time to time, that, but we were going to use the arts to touch the heart. What I didn't know is that we were entering into what's called the music wars, or better known as the worship wars. Are any of y'all familiar with that term? Yep, some of you been there, lived through it, done it. John Weinbrenner, you're nodding your head. It was brewing in Pasadena, brother. Uh, the worship wars. And it was really ridiculous because it was all based on preference. I preferred this song, I preferred that song. And then we had wonderful preachers who say, I don't like them 7 Eleven songs. You know, you got seven words, you sing it 11 times. I'd like to find the pastor who first said that and punch him in the throat. Because, you know, it just didn't do anybody any favors. And then, you know, there was this and that and the other, and it was all about music. Spurgeon, John, uh, Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, he said this in the 1800s. He said, when Satan fell out of heaven, he fell into the choir loft. <laughs> he called his music ministry the war department because people were so aggravated and confused about music and style, and we call it worship. And it's really just a tool of worship. In fact, a pastor in the 1800s got a nasty letter from a woman in his church complaining about a song they were singing. It said, this song is not fit to be sung. The words are repetitive. They have no meaning. You sing them over and over. This is something that's a little ditty that's appropriate for a pub, but not appropriate for a worship gathering. And the song was, Just As I Am. And some of y'all don't even know, okay, what is that? It's a hymn that people sang, and I've sang it how many verses, John, of that? Is there's nine million verses of it, and I've sung all of them. Yeah, and so it's just that ridiculous preference thing. But what is worship, and how does it express? Now, Tara and I have had the chance to go to a lot of places in the world. God has blessed us with the ability to see a lot of different things in the world, and we've been to places that have different religions and different forms of worship. We've been in places like, uh, well, like in Africa, where they worship uh, their ancestors in Easter, in Southeast Asia, they worship their ancestors, ancestor worship. They, 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 they even give gifts to their dead ancestors so they won't come back and haunt them. Uh, in Southeast Asia, they call it ghost money. They give it to these folks so they won't come back and haunt them. And, and this is the way they worship. We've been to uh, places where Hinduism was prevalent and we watched people spend up to 50% of their income on sacrifices to their false gods to keep their false gods from torturing them. They would go to their temple and invoke their gods to come down. We were at Taipusan in, in Malaysia where they would pierce themselves with swords and sticks and, and then march up and pour out milk offerings to their false god. And, and then we've been in places like uh, Cuba where they were worshiping Santeria, which is a kind of combination of voodoo and Catholicism. And the followers of Santa Teria would be dressed in white and just very caught up in a very weird kind of mixture of belief system. We've been into Haiti and heard the drumbeats of the voodoo priests calling people to come worship. 
where they were literally inviting the demons to come and dwell in them. And their devoted then would be literally demon-possessed. You talk about freaky. It's just freaky. We've been in places that atheism was the predominant belief system. And you say, well, Scott, that's really not a religion. Yeah, it is. When you're all about not believing in anything, it becomes your belief in everything. We've been to the Blue Mosque in, in Istanbul, one of the largest mosques outside of the, of, the, of the Middle East, out of Saudi Arabia, and, and seen literally thousands of men devotedly kneeling and praying toward Mecca. And some of you say, well, don't Islam worship the same God as we do? No, because they don't worship Jesus Christ as God. So how could they worship the same God when they, 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 they don't believe in Christ? So it's that this false belief system. And I've heard people say this, and you probably heard it said as well. Well, you know, don't all religions teach basically the same thing about goodness and fairness and kindness? And No, they don't. That is a kind of a liberal propagation or propaganda to make us tolerant but ignorant. They don't teach the same thing. Every other belief system other than Christianity says you have to do something to make your God not angry with you. And Christianity teaches that our God has done something to make us righteous, and that's die in our place on the cross for our sins. No other belief system teaches that. Well, then I hear people say this, and perhaps you have as well. Well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Have you heard that? Doesn't that sound sweet? They're sincere until you go to Papua New Guinea and their belief system is that they eat one another. They're cannibals. Well, they're sincere. Well, you eat your neighbor. Really? And now I'm choking off 10,000 cannibal jokes that I, I could tell you. There's cannibal jokes. They just eat on you. They just... And so you, at least they're sincere. And sincere, sincerity never means accuracy. You be sincerely wrong. And then I've heard people say this, well, I really don't really need a belief system because I'm better than most people I know. Well, yeah, you've chosen your friends based on you and your friends are thinking, well, I'm better than them. And it's just fallacy. And the standard is not your friends. Your standard is your God. And who is your God? If Jesus is our standard, I got a long way to go. How about you? I, I told this, this, this story, this illustration, several years ago, and some of you will know these people and some of you won't. Carl Lewis, the famous long jumper, the record holder long jumper, he's standing on the banks of, of the Mississippi River, okay? And then beside him is standing Roseanne Barr. Y'all know her? Okay, and then there's me. And we're all gonna jump across the Mississippi River. The world record, long jumper, Roseanne Barr, whatever she is, and me. Who's going to make it across the river? None of us. We're all just going to get muddy and wet. Because the standard is impossible. How can we hope to ever be like Christ unless the Spirit of God is indwelling in us? That everything we do and everything we say, everything we are is about Jesus and how we become like him. So we look at these things and we hear about religion, and we hear about worship, but what is true worship? And why would I commit myself to something that I really don't even understand? So today, I want to take you on a journey at that. We're going to talk about worship. Then I'm going to show you an encounter Jesus had with a woman that flipped her world, and I think it might flip yours as well. 
And then you could put on your sticker, if you haven't already, and say, I will. I will worship because I know this King Jesus who's worthy of my worship. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray that you will speak through me. They'll not be my words or my thoughts, but Father, your truth that will lead us to all understanding and lead us into all righteousness. So thank you for what you're going to say and what you're going to do. And I pray this all in your son's strong name. Amen. Amen. Now go ahead and take out your notes, your Take the Weekend With You notes. Again, I'm so excited that you guys are here. I thought nobody would be here today. I know that uh, we're watching our house now for water to come into it. So some of you, 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 some of you just went, oh, I hope you don't preach long. I'm not. Okay. That's a lie. I am. Here we go. So here's some thoughts. I want you to jot down some thoughts. Let's look at some thoughts about worship to kind of help you understand where we're going with all this. Here's the first thought. Worship is a vital part of church life. We gather together to worship God, and it's a vital part of who we are. Now, I've heard people say, well, I don't have to go to church to worship. That's true. You don't. In fact, listen to me very carefully. You don't go to church. We are the church. This is not a place we inhabit. This is a people who we are. And we happen to gather in this building out of convenience and out of necessity. We gather in this place to be the people of God, to express our love together with God. And it's a vital part of our lives. Now, you can drift away from the gathering, but what happens when you drift away from the family, drift away from the gathering, you become a spiritual orphan. You get out on an island by yourself. I hear guys say, well, I could worship God on the fishing boat. I could go fishing, or I could worship God in the deer blind. And that's true, you can, but you probably don't. And then I hear guys say, well, I can worship God on the golf course. And anyone who's ever played golf know that that's a lie. You just fall from grace on the golf course. I mean, golf's a four-letter word. In fact, I struggle with my golf game, so I took lessons, and the pro said, why don't you lay off a week and then quit altogether? So, you know, it's... So it's that idea that we need to be together. It's a vital part of, of church life. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. I love what the King James Version says. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. And your Texans, what do spurs do for horses? Giddy up. It drives you forward to love each other deeply and to for good deeds. Not to make you feel guilty, not to make you feel oppressed, but to build us up and to spur us other on to be loving and to do the good that needs doing. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Even then, people were breaking the habit of gathering. That's why I applaud you today in the middle of this torrential rain this, this million drops of rain that you're here today. And I, I'm sure others are joining us online. And they'll be back next week and the week after and the week after. And that's okay. You know, we, I, I, people say, well, pastor, I hate that I miss church. Well, we gather 52 times a year. It's okay. Just make a few of them. You'll be all right. But it's a vital part of our life. But encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. You say, the day, what is that day? That's the day of Christ's return that we encourage one another as things get harder, things get rougher, as the day of Christ comes and, 
And God promises it's going to get worse before he comes. And so we gather to encourage one another. You know, when I'm writing talks, when I'm preparing to speak to you guys week in and week out, there's some things I think about. I think about how I can love you and how I can encourage you and how can I inspire you. I don't ever think about how I could beat you up or point my bony finger at you. Well, my finger's not. Point my fat finger at you and, and, and admonish you. I don't think about those things. I think about how can I encourage you? And I write a lot of messages just thinking about you. In fact, I've had people come to me and say, I can't believe you preached to me today. And that ain't me. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I don't know what's going on in your life, but God does. And somehow he'll speak through me for you. Y'all notice that when I pray, I say, God, they don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. Y'all notice that? I mean that. That's just not something I pray to pray to sound spiritual. Because Lord knows I ain't spiritual. I'm just saved. That's all. I'm just a saved, hell-bound degenerate that's been saved. That's all I am. A, a saved heathen. Anybody got a witness for that? Yeah. And so as we come together, I think about you. How you can encourage you? How can, it, how can he spur you on to, to love and good deeds? So that's what it's about. And so we gather together and it's intentional. It's a vital part of our life. We vitally need to be together. Now, in the Middle Ages, there was this belief system that came up called cathedralism. And cathedralism taught this, that you could not have access to God unless you came to the cathedral. You couldn't hear from God. You couldn't experience God. You couldn't serve God unless you came to the cathedral. And we still face that, don't we? We still face that, that we come to the cathedral, the place. We call it the church. It should be called the church building because we are the church. In fact, I remember teaching this a long time ago. I said, listen, if you're in your group life and, and you want to serve communion, serve communion. In your small group, in your group life, you could do that. And people went, what? I said, if you want to baptize people like in your swimming pool, you, you can do that. You can baptize people. What? And my mama heard all that. And my mama said, Scott, you're not teaching what's right. You know you have to be a pastor to serve communion, and you have to be baptized in the church. And I said, Mama, what is the church? The church is the ecclesia, the called out ones. It's not a place. It's a people. How can you be baptized in a people? But you're baptized into a family of the people. And I said, Mama, I want you to do this. I want you to search the Bible and find the place in the Bible that says you have to be a pastor to serve communion. You have to be a pastor to baptize. She says, Okay. About a month later, she calls me and says, well, I can't find it, but it ought to be in there. <laughs> hmm. So it's a vital part of church life. Here's the second thought I want you to, to, to hold on to. Non-believers, get this, non-believers cannot worship God. They can't because they don't know him. And how can they call upon someone they don't know? How can they worship somebody they don't know? But they can watch believers worship God, and it's a powerful experience. That's why it's so important when we come to our gatherings that we're engaged. We're not casual. We're not just checking off the box. Remember this, y'all. It's not what you show up to that matters. It's what shows up in you that matters. And non-believers can come. That's why our gatherings need to be whimsical. They need to be inviting. They need to be dynamic. They need to be intentional. They need to be so that we can worship and non-believers can come and go, I want what they've got. And guess what? They can get it. 
So many of us have had encounters with God that have led to life change, a life-changing eternal encounter with God in a gathering of the church. I know that's what I trusted Jesus. And many of you, the same thing, that we gather together, that the glory of God may be revealed through the people of God in the expression of the worship of the people of God. And it's not just singing. Worship is more than singing. Now, singing is important. Do y'all realize that we're the only created thing that sings? You go, wait, 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 preacher. Everybody knows the angels sing. Angels we have heard on high sweetly singing or the plains. Y'all, that's a dead gum Christmas carol. Nowhere in scripture does angels sing except for in creation and then in the eschaton at the end of time, the angels sing. Until that time, the angels have quit singing because of sin. And we're the only ones who sing. Well, I was like a preacher, birds sing. No, they don't just make noise. Well, it sounds like singing, okay. Some of y'all, you just make noise and it sounds like singing too. Maybe you're a bunch of birds, I don't know. But the truth is we have a chance to express our voices to God. And God loves it when we sing. Now back to my mama. I studied voice performance opera in college and I was a music minister for 11 years. In fact, John, I was your music minister back a million years ago, back when you had hair and I did too. Back, my hair was black and my mustache was black and now I have neither of those things. John was in our church there, and that's, that's what it was. Then God asked me to shift from that and to be a pastor and start a church. My mother hated it because she wanted me to be a singer, not a preacher. So she, she needlepointed uh, a, a, this little saying for me. Y'all remember back in the 80s and 90s when needlepoint, everybody, oh, we got to do needlepoint. And you made stuff nobody wanted, you gave it away, right? You remember that? It's all now in a drawer someplace or a box or in the dump. And they have the, she, she made me a point. She said, God respects me when I preach, but he loves me when I sing. Really, Mom? <laughs> but it's not just about singing. Singing is a tool. We use the arts to touch the heart. And we, we take that very serious around here. We plan and we pray and we try to put experiences together. In fact, today at the end of this talk, the reason you guys were confused, we sang two songs and I got up to preach and you're going, they forgot the offering. They forgot to do this. They forgot. Because we're going to add some stuff at the end to give you a chance to engage your heart in singing. At the end. Don't you think you're getting out early? Uh-uh. No, no, no. It's because we want you to experience the fullness of expressing to God. Now, one thing about music is this. God loves all kinds of music. He loves rap. He loves reggae. He loves classical. He loves hymns. God even loves the Gaithers. I don't know how, but he does. God loves all kinds of music, and he enjoys that. I want to say something else you may go boom about, that there's no such thing as secular or sacred music. There's only secular or sacred words. Music has no theology. Music has keys and notes and rhythms and meter. But words have theology. That's, it is important what we sing, and it should be accurate. Our, our worship leaders around here, they grow weary of me analyzing the theology of songs. They go, really? Just lighten up. Because you know, sometimes we sing songs like we're dating Jesus. You know, we're going to take Jesus to the prom. No, we're not going to take Jesus to the prom. I remember singing this one song that says, 
I want to put my head on your chest, feel the beat of your heart. That's just creepy, Jesus. We ain't going to sing that song. You know, uh, and I could give you more and more words. I thought that was funny. Y'all kind of look at me like, I like that song. That's one of my favorites. It's on my playlist. I put my head on Jesus' chest. Okay, sorry. Just preference. And even music has a shelf life. It rises up and then it dies. It rises up and it dies. And there's some music that extends. It crosses the time barrier and extends. Some of y'all think that's Elvis. He extends. Elvis has got a shelf life, y'all. And so it's true. And it's all about preference. And God loves all of it. So what do we do around here? Do we do one style? No, we do multiple styles. And the thing is, it's not about you and what you want. It's about God and bringing praise to him. Oh, I don't have to have my favorite song sung every week. No. In fact, the sign of a spiritual mature person is someone who's willing to put up with somebody else's preference because you want to meet their needs. My little granddaughters love to go to McDonald's and eat. I don't ever want to go to McDonald's and eat. There ain't nothing on the Big Mac menu that fascinates Papa Scott at all. Uh, but my little kids, they like it. So we go to meet their preference. A sign of maturity is setting aside my rights and my privileges for the good of others. It takes very mature Christians to reach people for Jesus that are willing to give up their rights, their parking place and their pew spot and their musical preference, even share the sausage rolls. I know. And they came right out of the kitchen to Jesus this morning. Hmm. So it's not just about singing, but singing is vitally important. It is a part of our expression. So we must look at our culture. How do we connect with our culture musically? How do we do that? And it's not just done in a building. And we've already talked about that, but I'll give you a little more. I want to read this passage to you. He is God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. In fact, the spirit of God lives in you, lives in you. And I've already talked about this. Worship is best expressed together. When we're together, we worship together. You could do it in isolation, but it's better together. And it's not about my wants and my desires. It's about my attitude. And finally, worship without obedience is not worship. It's not what you show up to that matters. It's what shows up in you. And if you're choosing to just come and sing and not obey God, you're just making noise. You're just coming to an event. I love it in sporting events. Like I'm a Florida State graduate and I'll go to a game and I'll watch and I'll cheer. And then I'll say, well, we did this and we did that and we did the other. I ain't done nothing but stand in the stands and drink Diet Coke and scream like an idiot. It's those guys on the field that have participated and practiced and gave their blood, sweat, and tears for that game. And somehow I'm involved in that. No, I'm a fan of that. And what God wants me to do is to climb down out of the grandstands of my observation and get in the game and serve him. And I do that by obeying, not just observing. And it changes me. When I say, Jesus, my act of worship is not gathering at a service, but gathering with the intent to be spurred on to loving good deeds, to spur on to loving good deeds.
Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and I will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the father who sent me. Obedience is our act of worship. Now I'm gonna say this. Giving of our financial resources to the Lord is an act of worship. I had a conversation with a young church planner. In fact, he launched his church today at Dripping Springs and we've been coaching and, and helping him. Our church has been helping them and I've been coaching him. And he said, I need to ask you a question, Scott. When do you, take, when do you receive the offering? He said, when do you take the offering in your church gatherings? I said, first of all, we don't take an offering. We receive an offering from our people. Words matter. You don't give grudgingly or necessity. You give with a cheerful heart as an act of worship. He says, okay, yeah, whatever. I said, no, no, it's not whatever. Words matter. Words matter. He said, well, when do you do it? Do you do it like in the middle, like during a song, or you do it in the end with a basket? Well, how do you do it? And I said, we do both. He said, what? I said, we do both. Because listen to me, it's not when you do it, it's the condition of your heart when you give, and it should be giving as an act of worship. And we are not after your money, but we are dead gum sure after your heart. That's what Jesus is. Because where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And it's not about cash. Jesus don't need no cash. Jesus got plenty of cash. What he wants is your obedience to love and to good deeds and to generosity. And you can't outgive him anyway. So Jesus had an encounter with a woman and it shows us really what worship is. Now, this week when I started working on this talk, I felt like I went into a, to a diamond mine of God's word and I dug out this really beautiful diamond and I've kind of cleaned it up, polished it up, let you see the facets. So we're gonna hold this jewel up to the light and let you look at it. What does it really mean to commit to worship? To say, I will worship. So in John chapter four, we find Jesus with an encounter. So let me trace that for you. Let me, I'm gonna read this totality and then a little bit will be on the screen for you that we'll focus on. And as he passed through Samaria, he came to the town of, of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there. So Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well and it was about the sixth hour. So it was about noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water late in the day because the women would come early, but this woman, she had some baggage and she came late to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is that that you're a Jew? Ask a drink from me, a, a woman of Samaria. For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. In fact, the Jews did, they were so racist, they didn't even talk to Samaritans. But here's the cool thing about Jesus. Jesus was modeling for his disciples the very thing he would say to them later in Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He was modeling that because he left Jerusalem, went through Judea, and was now ministering in Samaria. Jesus was showing them a pattern even in this encounter. Even in this encounter. For the Jews have no dealing. And Jesus, uh, and, okay, Jesus, Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was saying to you, give me a drink, 
you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with water with and the well is deep. Where, where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us this well to drink from. He drank from it himself and, he, and as did his son and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I'll give him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become a, in him a well of spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or I have to come here to draw water again. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said to her, yeah, you're right in saying that. You don't have a husband. But you've had five husbands. The guy you're with now, you're shagging up. Now, that's the weather for translation. It's not your husband. And then the woman takes a hard pivot because she wants to change the subject. Y'all ever have a conversation with somebody, they said something, you just want to change the subject? This woman wants to change the subject because now, but I want you to, I want you to write this down. Jesus is never shocked with your sin, Ever. And he's always lovingly correcting and redeeming. Jesus didn't go, what? What you doing? He knows. He says, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You got five. And this dude you're with now, he ain't your husband. And she's going, let's change the subject. And then she pivots and she asks a really interesting question about worship. And this is where we're going to focus. And this is where our passage is. And this, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> Duh, just called her out. For our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place people ought to worship. And Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither this on this mountain or nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship, that means the Jews, what we know. For salvation is from the Jews, not for the Jews, but from the Jews. Very important you get that. Jesus was Jewish, and salvation came through the Jewish Jesus. It's from the Jews. Now, that doesn't mean we are Jewish because we believe in Jesus. No, 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 no. This is the fulfilling of the, the Abrahamic covenant, the, the Noadic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the Adamic covenant, this is, Jesus is fulfilling all the covenants of God. I will bring a redeemer who will redeem the world. And it's from the Jewish covenant blessing. But the hour's coming. You hear true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. The father is seeking such people to worship him. God is longing for us to worship him. It's spirit and the truth. He's desiring it. He's wanting it. He wants your heartfelt praise. He wants your heartfelt adoration. He wants your heartfelt life change. He's seeking it. He's desiring it. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Then the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ, and when he comes... He will tell us all, the, all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And in that, this translation, which is the ESV, it really loses the impact of the Greek translation because this is what Jesus says. I am he. 
I am. Quoting the name of God that God gave himself to Moses. I am. That's enough. And this woman's world was changed. And I want your world to be changed because true worship is always in the spirit. You go, so, oh, what's that mean? Is that some kind of mystical do, 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 people do weird things? No. Worshipers have the spirit of God in their lives because they have prayed and asked Jesus to be their savior. And at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit has moved into your life and you, your spirit bears witness to God's spirit that you are children of God because the spirit of the living God lives in you. You cannot worship God without the spirit of God living in you. And as a believer, when you trust Jesus, the spirit of God moves into your life and now you can worship God because you have the spirit of God living in you and you worship him in your spirit. Now let me make a little more sense, okay? Spiritual worship means this, that I have a fully engaged heart. My heart is fully engaged. Do y'all ever show up to these gatherings and you just kind of like had a bad morning? I mean, you ever, you ever fought on the way up here with your family? And then you get out of the car. Hallelujah, bless God. I'm so glad I'm here. Really? First time you see a greeter. Oh, hallelujah. So good to see you. Hug, 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 hug. Where's the cookies? We need to have an engaged heart that we calm with expectation. And there again, in my preparation, I want you guys to encounter the Lord. I don't want it to be normal to encounter the Lord, that you may see him and and feel him and embrace him and have his spirit speak to you. Because your spirit is bear witnessing to his spirit and his spirit is the spirit that's living in you. Your old spirit is dead, but you have a new spirit of life because of Jesus. And you know what? If you don't have that this morning, you can because the spirit of the living God will willingly indwell in you when you invite him to come. You don't have to do it once. He comes and he stays. He comes and he stays. Well, I think that's pretty cool. Give yourself to God then because he's lavished his love on you through the gospel. This is your act of worship. This is your act of worship. Why? Let me read for you. Romans 11. For everything comes from him and exists by his power. It is intended for his glory. You were intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. You were intended for his glory. Look at your neighbor right now. Look him in the eye and say, you were intended for God's glory. Go ahead and do that. You were. But some of y'all are being kind of tacky to one another. It's all right. Some of y'all just got a date. That's creepy. But you were intended for God's glory. Listen to this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are what? Because we are, you can read it, it's up there, because we are, let's try one more time, because we are, thank you. 
that you've been united with Christ. But it's also true worship. Get this. It's based on truth. What does that mean? That Jesus is truth. Pilate, on the night Jesus was betrayed, Jesus stood Pilate, and Pilate said to Jesus, what is truth? Dude, truth was standing right in front of you. And you missed it. We live in a day and age where truth stands in front of us, but we choose to believe the lie instead of the truth. Our society is racked with people believing lies and not true. Jesus is the truth. How do I know that? Because Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. So get this. Worshiping in truth is having a fully engaged mind. Every other belief system says this. Empty your mind. Sit with your legs crossed, go, mm, and empty your mind so the demons can fill your mind. Jesus says, come to me with a fully engaged mind. Now listen to me. The Spirit of God, as you worship him in spirit, based on the truth of God, as revealed in his word, brings about the life change of God that makes you free in him. And we worship God in spirit and in truth. Hmm. He doesn't ask us how to, he doesn't tell us how to do this. There's not an order of gatherings in, in scripture. So there has to be cultural. We have to, if we're in Kazakhstan, it's Kazakh. If we're in Africa, it's African. If we're in Cuba, it's Cubano. I remember Cuba, they would sing, they had, they had a great band and they were, they were rocking the flock and they did some Hillsong stuff in Spanish. It was kind of cool. But what really got cool is when they put the little Cubano beat to it. And they got the little shaking it up. You know what I'm saying? And, you, it, and that was like, yeah. And they got to dance it. The Cubans dance. Pastor Scott made a dance just a little bit. But they gave me some medicine and I quit. So it, <laughs> it's all about that cultural relevant. But this is what God does say to us. Get this. He says this in Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know what that says to me as a pastor? I better make sure y'all getting some rich stuff. Rich stuff. So I, I study and I want to give you good things. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Then he says this. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He said, well, that's all we're supposed to sing. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. No, Paul was giving an exemplatory list here, not an exhaustive list here. He said, what kind of hymns? Well, the Greeks used to sing hymns about history and their wars and their, their triumphs. It was hymns of the victor hymns. And, and Paul's saying, sing those. Not, not about the Greeks, but about Jesus. Write your stuff. You know what would be really cool? If this church became a fountainhead of original music that was coming out of the hill country of Texas that was changing the, the church world. I mean, Texas music is a big deal. What about Texas music all for Jesus? Y'all write some of this stuff. Some of you gifted songwriters, like in the back of the room, write some of these things all for Jesus. We'll sing them, won't we? That's five of us, so that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, okay. With thankfulness in your heart to God and whatever you do, get this, whatever you do, obedience 
in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That is truth worship. Here's the last thing I want you to know, and then we're going to sing some. True worship brings about life change. The woman wanted to change the subject because she was broken. Jesus knows you're broken, and he wants to heal you. Folks, we're the fellowship of the broken. Every one of us in here are broken. We're messed up. But Jesus says, I want to heal you. And he encountered this woman who was so broken. Why did the woman go back into the village to tell everybody she knew? Because she knew everybody. And she said, come see the man who told me everything I knew, that knew about me. Listen, I'm going to read you what she said. This, This is what happened. This is really cool. It says this. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And so he stayed there two days. Can you imagine two days of Jesus' teachings? Dude, you talk about awesome. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we know this is indeed the Savior of the world. True worship in spirit and the truth will lead you to life change because there's never a casual encounter with God. And every week we gather and every week God wants to push you to be more like Jesus. Every week when we sing our songs, it's not about satisfying some kind of artistic longing in our heart. It's that we might be changed by the spirit of God that we might be different, that we might live differently, that we might love deeper, that we might give more generous, that we might be the hope of the world. That's what it's about. And that unbelievers can watch and they say, I want this. I want this. And King Jesus is glorified as lives are turned to him because we choose to worship him in spirit and in truth. And it changes us changes us. Take out your sticker. If you don't already have it, will you today say, I will, I will worship him. A single drop of rain does nothing. A deluge turns a parking lot into a lake or a desert into a garden. A church that says, I will worship will be the hope of the world. Will we be that church? Where to launch? Say, I will. People say, what are you willing about? I'm going to worship God because this is my act. And every week, we're going to challenge you to make a commitment because commitments determine your destiny and they define your life.